Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Be Your Own Bank podcast. We have a very special weekly roundup for you this week. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. So this week, we want to talk about a very important thing that happened in the news. Um, Six of the top CEOs and crypto executives met with Congress last week, and they were there as key witnesses to discuss basically what could become new regulations in the crypto sphere, answer questions to Congress. And it was just a really nice um, sort of forum for these experts to kind of share their information with congressional members and Congress to, to understand a little bit better what they are regulating and how to do it in a more efficient and um, helpful way for everybody. So we had six of the top executives, two from exchanges FTX and Coinbase. We had one representing Stellar Lumen, and then we had two executives that are specifically focused on stable coins. So we have US dollar coin and Paxos standard dollar. They were both there to answer questions about stable coins. And you might think like five hours of congressional testimony sounds really exhilarating. And you'd be right, actually, because it was pretty great. I thought it, I honestly thought it was going to be like a bunch of accusatory gotcha questions and stuff where it was like, you know, Congress, like just trying to make crypto look bad or trying to overregulate and all this stuff. And it was quite the opposite. Uh, it was very respectful. Everyone was like, oh, thank you for the question. And oh, it's so great to see you again, Congressperson. And it was just it was it was refreshing to see that like adults were having a conversation about finance and well, and it was bipartisan too. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't really tell who was Democrat, who was Republican. I couldn't at all. And, um, I was just surprised that it wasn't, well, what about the, the dark web right. and, and what about hackers and ransomware? And some of that came up, but it, it wasn't accusatory. Like we thought it, it could be right. easily could be. Um, and or ignorant lot, for that matter. Right. A lot of the Congress people were very, um, well educated on the topic of blockchain of crypto and their questions showed that they had some background before even coming into this hearing. Which is huge. Yeah. It's huge. Because when, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, when Zuckerberg came in and everybody was just like, how does Facebook make money? Which is like the base, most basic question. But these Congress people were asking blockchain questions. They were, you know, asking about efficiency and all this stuff. And it was just, I was blown away at, you know, just how interesting the the questions and conversation was, but also just that it, it felt like the ball was moving forward. It didn't feel like they were were caught up and and didn't know how to figure out what what to do with with crypto. Well, and it started up with them saying, you know what, this is already regulated. We need to create a better framework for regulation so that we're not stifling this industry and this innovation because they know that this is the future. It's it was almost a three trillion dollar market and they they're seeing the potential and how it could potentially affect government and um, banking in in the United States. Yeah. And I think, you know, the overarching theme was that everyone agreed that crypto is good and crypto is the future and crypto is where everything is moving. How do we make the rules around it? That was ultimately what everything was about. And how do we stay competitive in a global market Mm, and make maintain that the dollar has global dominance when it 
it does now, but it, it could lose that if, if we can't be cooperative with this new emerging market. All right. So let's dive into this. Uh, let's start with infrastructure. So we talked about, uh, or they talked about uh, Web 3.0. I think that's really uh, interesting because I didn't really know what Web 3.0 was until a couple weeks ago. So let's w- explain that for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to start with what Web 3.0 is, is to start with what Web 1.0 is. And so if you go back in time to sort of the AOL days, when we were, you know, just getting onto the web, that's Web 1.0. And basically, in a nutshell, what it is, is that you have... Um, you have content that you're interacting with uh, in terms of just reading. So you're going to a website kind of like a New York Times newspaper and you're, you're just reading content. You're, you're digesting content. Um, and that's, that's about it. Is you, it's sort of um, passive news. And then we move to Web 2.0, which is where we are now. Um, and that's where we add that, that engagement, that interaction where you are not only viewing and taking in content, but you're also adding content. The blogosphere. Blogosphere through social media. Um, You're creating content with, you know, comments on people's pages or whatever. It's the content creation and engagement phase of the internet. And we've been there for decades. But the problem with that is, is that who owns your content, right? It's the, the big five is what they said. They said there's five companies who basically own your content, which is a scary thing. But you know, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do about YouTube? What are you going to do about, you know, Facebook, you know, and Google in general, right? It's, uh, that's the problem is that if you have a show or like a podcast, like the be your own bank podcast, you know, uh, and people subscribe, which I recommend subscribing to on YouTube, then that's how monetization happens. And, you know, we get paid for our content but we get paid a fraction of what we could be getting paid for our intellectual property. So definitely go ahead and uh, subscribe to the Be Your Own Bank podcast, uh, specifically the BitPros on YouTube. And uh, that will help the big five make more money, but it'll also help the little two make some money too. <laughs> but I mean, that's the point, right? Is is Google and all these huge corporate conglomerates, they get to decide the market. They get to decide how much they're paying you, how much content is worth, how much you're worth as a content provider. Um, and they pull all the strings. So now we move into Web 3.0. And Web 3.0 is this idea of content ownership, individual decentralized content ownership. So now we're moving to to where, you know, you don't have to go to GoDaddy and rent a website. Now you can own a website. Yep. And it's all verified and tracked and stored on a blockchain. So there's there's less um issues with downtime as well. I mean, you look at you look at Facebook had this like 6-hour outage and it cost them billions of dollars and people can't access their social media, which is probably good cuz then they can go outside and have, you know, some fresh air, but either way, either no. way, the problem is we are relying on this huge conglomerate to to maintain network stability and with decentralization, web3, it's all um spread out in this sort of neural network that that allows for less of that to happen and makes it more secure, more efficient. And the individuals who are creating content are the ones that are, are gaining from it. It's not these third parties. It's that a transfer of cut. wealth. Yeah. You know, so you're finally able to make money off of your intellectual property, 
which makes perfect sense. Why haven't we done that? Well, now we are. And that's why Web 3.0 is so cool because as uh, the uh, Coinbase CEO said, that crypto has now gone from the investment phase into the utility phase. So now we're actually using crypto as not only a store of value, but as a transactional, you know, utilizing it literally, which is just phenomenal that they're acknowledging that in Congress now too, you know? Absolutely. And we're moving from this sort of um, old economics to a new economics and new communities um, where we're as creators are creating the economy and it's becoming the sort of play to earn. So in the gaming space, this is going to be huge. We're already doing it now. There's this thing called Sandbox where you can actually buy digital property. You can rent it out. You can design on it. And um, it's all provable on the blockchain that you have ownership of this um, property. And and it's transparent. And it's transparent. Is that everything is transparent. Anyone can verify that that person owns that piece of content or that website or whatever. So it's... The, the crowd is in charge now and they are going to dictate what thing, the value of things, which is what it should be. And I think the fact that they, what they spoke about, you know, in this hearing was that that's where we are going and we have, we need to embrace that. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they didn't deny that at all, that we are moving in this direction. It's, it's like they, they see these experts of the trade and they're like, how can we make this easier for you guys, for us to, to regulate and, and for your community that, that wants to be invested so that we can stay competitive? Um, I think the next thing we want to talk about throughout the hearing um, is access. Yep. Um, access in terms of ease of access, I think is more specific to these financial services. Well, and I think that was a concern of some of the Congress people was that I was like, it, it, cause they represent us right there. They should. And so there were some Congress people who would speak up and say, well, in my district, we have, you know, percentages of, of low income people. How does this affect them? How can this benefit them? And I thought that was interesting because it's like, of course you do. But some of these, some of these congressmen actually do represent these communities that are completely underserved. And so crypto is a, a huge benefit to those people. And I think that was reiterated as well. Well, and yeah, they said that there are more minority investors in crypto than white investors in the U.S. And I didn't know that. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, especially with these underserved communities. They they talked about these two important terms, un, underbanked and unbanked. Yep. Um, unbanked meaning you don't have a bank account and underbanked meaning you, you don't have as much access, right? Right. Um, and so crypto can solve that because you really just need a phone. And with Stellar CEO saying that they're partnering this company called Leaf that allows for, you know, refugees to to move their money across borders without having to have physical cash in hand. They don't even need smartphones. I, I, I looked it up and, and they can have just a regular phone and still have access to their money. So it allows people that don't have banking services that are in underprivileged areas to still have power over their money and be their own bank. Well, and I think too, the, the point that they made was, and I think it was Brooks who, um, he, you know, had said that exclusively to invest in things, you have to have, you have to be an accredited investor, which just basically means you have a bunch of money. So with this, it doesn't exclude people if you're not an ex- accredited investor. So you can be, since it's still so new, this whole industry, this crypto space, since it's still new, you can still get in early 
without a lot of, of assets and grow your assets and be part of this wealth phase, you know, and actually grow wealth with crypto. And I thought that was super fascinating because that's what, I mean, I've seen it, you know, like personally. So for them to be able to, uh, you know, explain it in a way that's like, it's not too late. You don't have to be rich to get rich. You can start now. And because we're still in these, these beginning phases of this market, you have a really great opportunity to, to grow wealth. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we've seen, we've seen people in our own personal lives that we've gotten into this that have, that have started small with, you know, 10, 20 bucks, maybe a month. And now they're sitting on a couple thousand dollars because they've been consistent. Yep. They believe in the process and it proves itself. It has. It has proven itself. Yeah. And you know, over time now, once we get, you know, the, the sign off of Congress, which man, did it look like they were on board the whole time for five hours, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't, there wasn't a single Congress person who was like, you know, this is not for me, which blew me away. I thought for sure they'd, there'd be a few that were against it. Oh, absolutely. And I found out later that unsurprisingly, I feel like, um, some of Congress is of these Congress people have already invested in crypto. Right. So they're invested in it. They're under, they know a lot about about it it and they're, they're willing to take the advice and even some of the policy recommendations from these executives to create transparency and clarity in, in, in these regulations. Um, but one huge thing that they talked about, which I think is Congress's main, one of their main roles is risk managing and mitigating risk. Um, and I think one key thing that they said before they even got into asking questions about the risk of crypto and blockchain is they said, we're not about eliminating risk, just about managing it for the American people, basically. Um, and so the big question was volatility these coins can go up and down and quickly, quickly. And people could lose a lot of money. How do we, how do we manage that risk for someone who maybe doesn't have a lot to, to, uh, to lose or, yeah. or, or invest? Um, how do we manage that? Yeah. And, and, um, I think it was Brooks again, who was, was talking about, you know, this graph, this, this chart, this exponential growth, uh, and, and comparing the crypto market, still considering it that it's only 13 years old, right? And he was comparing it to the U.S. securities market, which is over 100 years old. And he was saying the charts are the same. The charts look the same. There's more volatility in the in the securities market earlier on. You know, people are just kind of finding the value of things. And so he was like, it completely correlates to the U.S. securities market, which was securities market, meaning the stock market, Dow Jones, you know, um, NASDAQ, that was S&P 500, right? So those, those arguments of, well, it's more volatile, they're, they're not, that's not true. Well, and they said too that every revolution, quote, revolution has volatility in the early days. And we're still in the early days. We are. We I are. mean, two, two $2.2 trillion market right now, Bitcoin or, or gold is $10 trillion. Yep. So we've got so much room to grow. Um, and I think the other, the other thing that they said too was, Brooks said this, 80% of Bitcoin hasn't moved. That was the wildest Blew thing. Blew my mind. Yeah. So all this volatility that's happening right now, you know, dropping from 68,000 to 46,000. Yep. 
is institutions just moving money around big big whales yeah yeah people with lots of of bitcoin because they got in when bitcoin was four cents or whatever or Don't you wish Don't or you they wish. got in late and they're just trying to play the the scalping game sure but 80 percent of people that have purchased bitcoin have never sold it yeah because they believe in it they see it as a store of value what yeah yeah that's cool that's probably the coolest statistic of the the five hours <laughs> <laughs> right well and it, it just shows that even though there's volatility there is um there's a lot of trust in yeah. this system well and time will show yeah. you know that it's n not a bad choice that it's in fact a great choice and you're still in early you're still in early yeah so um and then one of the other congress people asked the coinbase rep haas her last name's haas um, how do you manage risk when banks have the FDIC to insure, um, people's money? So if, if, if your account gets hacked or whatever, the FDIC insures you up to 250,000. So what measures does Coinbase take as an exchange because they're not insured necessarily to mitigate that risk? And so she said 98% well, first of all, she said 12% of all crypto in the world is held in custody by Coinbase. Another crazy statistic. 12% of that 2.2 trillion Coinbase has in their custody. That's absurd. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. That's hundreds of billions of dollars. And how are they main maintaining that it doesn't get hacked? Because hacks do happen. And Congress pointed out that Coinbase did get hacked. 6,000 of their accounts got hacked. Um, but Coinbase said, here's the deal. 98% of our money is stored in cold wallets. So offline, flash drives, hard drives, whatever, 2% is in hot wallets. So at any given time, the most they could lose is 2% of their money. And that's easily covered by all the profits that they make. Yeah. So th those 6,000 accounts that got hacked, just totally, they took they took the hit on that. Well, and it's funny too, because the the amount of risk, just investing in general, the amount of risk that you're supposed to take on each position is one to 2%. So it's, it's completely in line with just investing strategy in general. So 2% is completely negligible. They can pay everybody out, no problem. So I would say there's next to no risk in Coinbase. Next to no risk in Coinbase for sure. And then, um, I mean, we look at stable coins and we'll get to that next. Um, there's even less risk, but, uh, the, the other big question about risk that they asked was what about the bubble? Yep. What about the bubble in 2017? We had this 90% drop in the crypto sphere. I think it was 83, but yes, yes. Okay. Very, but it was, it high. was high. Yeah. Right. And you know, people getting in on their Shiba Inus and their Doge coins who are trying to hit the, hit the moon it's shot. It's going to hit a penny. <laughs> Shiba's going to hit a It'll penny. Never hit a penny. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm be they, they could lose a lot of money. I mean, we, we talked to a, a new, a new friend of ours who owns a company and he's saying that, you know, his, his chefs who are, you know, making maybe 3000 a month are putting a lot of that into some of these coins. And if the price drops 80%, that's a lot of money. So how, how, how is this risk going to be managed is it a bubble? That was the question. Yeah. Well, and I think the other piece of it was the, the, the transparency. So Bankman Freed, who's the FTX, um, uh, CEO, who's, he's a character. I, I like him a lot. I like I, him a lot. He's, he's, 
like a he's a PhD in physics yeah. from MIT. Yep. So he's got the credentials. Well, he's just kind of he's got just kind of this nerdy guy who knows mm-hmm. a lot of information yep. and he's very polite and and accommodating, but but what he was explaining which makes sense to me now is is the crypto market is 24/7. Right? And and we talk about transparency where every transaction is transparent. Anyone can verify that that transaction took place once it's been verified, of course, right? And so the 24 seven aspect, which is stressful because you can never shut it off. Right. It's like, you're constantly checking your phone and you're like, ah, it's, you know, it's going up or I just want a Sunday off where I don't have to worry about crypto. Yeah. But in the stock market, it's only, I, I believe it, the we're in central time. So 8 30 AM to 4 30 PM is, is the market the day. Right. So if you get in before the market, you're subject to these big spikes, these big moves, these big gaps. So it can either gap up or it can gap down at the beginning of the day. So you can see, yes, crypto is volatile and you'll see a, a giant, you know, down or up candle on the charts. But in in the stock market, you'll see these actual gaps in the charts where the day, the beginning of the day starts higher or far lower. And so it's harder to manage that when you don't know, like you wake up and you're waiting for 8.30 a.m. just to see where the market's going to go. So Freed was was uh, arguing that that's a better situation because you can manage risk better in that situation than you can if there's these. Because if you, on the stock market, if you wake up and it the, the bell rings and the market's down 2,000 points, what's going to happen? Panic selling right? Is that people are gonna be like, Oh man, I gotta, gotta sell, 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 sell. Whereas with the crypto market, because it's so fast, you'll see it go down 2000. You'll see it come back up 2000. So you kind of, you have a little bit more time to be rational and be less emotional about I it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And it's not to say that we won't be in a bubble again. Sure. Um, but I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to still maintain value in the market without all of this crazy risk. Well, and, 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 um, you know, talking about like the subprime mortgage crisis, right. Which is what caused the 2008 crash, which quickly was, uh, people who couldn't afford to get mortgages for homes were given them by the bank basically with no credentials. So you didn't have to have, it was very lax. No credit checks. No credit checks. No proof of employment. No proof of employment. Some of these, some of these loans were just completely ridiculous. Plus the interest rates were fluctuating and the appraisers would, would appraise for higher values on homes. And so the bank would issue these mortgages that were going to default guaranteed and people couldn't pay for them. Then the market started to to take a dip, the housing market. And so people couldn't offload houses. These banks took the mortgages, sold them to investment banks. The investment banks turned them into securities, sold them out. Those securities default. Everybody loses money. And it's just mass hysteria. So since we've had the Dodd-Frank Act, which has remedied that, um, but at the at the root lot. of all of this, at the root of all of this is zero transparency. Correct. These are banks to banks doing these sort of shady deals, and there's no there's no accountability for for their ledgers. We can't go and look at at Goldman Sachs. Right. We can't look at Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers. We can't look at their records and be like, oh, this is you guys are double spending. You guys are yeah, way leveraging. over leveraging. Yep. We can't do that. But with crypto, you can. You can see where the money is going. Um, and so that over time 
is going to help reduce volatility the more people that get into it. And you have a lot of people checking on that. You have a lot of people who have a vested interest in that being successful and and more people not being able to take advantage of a broken system because the system's on the blockchain in perpetuity. And open source. Yep. So everyone can view it and audit it. Um Enough about risk. We're going to jump into stable coins. Stable coins was a huge uh, point of interest for Congress, especially with them talking about dollar dominance. Yes. Um, one thing that came out of this discussion, so we have Circle's CEO and we have Pax, Paxos's CEO. Both of them run companies that mint cryptocurrency stable coins. So uh, Circle is US dollar coin. And Paxos is Paxos dollar. But they also have a gold-backed um, coin as well. So they're, they're not just focused on that. But that's what that's what they were talking about in Congress. And one huge thing that we found out about them is not only are they regulated, but for every crypto stable coin that is minted, they have a one-to-one back dollar in reserves. Dollar or, or treasury bond bill, you know, so, something, something that's that, liquid. Yes, that's yeah. worth a dollar. It could be exchanged for dollars. Um and that's huge. So the idea is the one-to-one is gives the dollar dominance, gives the dollar, uh, the, the gold standard, you've heard of the gold standard, which was basically before 1970, what, two, something like that. All dollar bills were backed by gold. So gold isn't the standard anymore because there's, they keep printing money. Yeah. The reason basically there's, it was reserve currency for other countries too, but there just isn't enough gold for how much money is printed. Correct. So they, it, you can't use it to back it anymore. So it becomes a fiat currency. When we talk about fiat, it just means uh, backed by the government. So the U.S. government is, I guess, arguably one of the most trusted governments. <laughs> that seems like an oxymoron, but uh, in the world. So the fact that they go a dollar, we, we got you. If we don't have enough gold reserves to cover the dollars, we got you anyways. We'll figure it out, which nobody's called them on that. But the idea is this fiat currency is is the most trusted. So everybody in the world wants dollars. And what's wrong with that is that some of these other countries are starting to, you know, do better and China's really competing with us. And this is that, you know, the global reserve currency that the U.S. dollar is right now because everybody wants it may be at risk. And that's the point with stable coins is, um, uh, who's the circle CEO? He, he, uh, he said, he said uh, that Jeremy Allaire, Jeremy Allaire. He said that the dollar is at risk because it doesn't have features. It's yeah. not into this new, the future of the economy is features. So he compared the, uh, us dollar versus the stable coin. He said the us dollar is like an, an uh, a mailed letter, like an, like an old school snail mail letter and crypto and, and USDC stable coin is like an email. So it, it goes as fast as the internet, right? It has features. It's the capabilities of a USD stablecoin backed by the dollar has far more power than an actual physical paper dollar. Well, and, and if we want to be maintain our place as the global reserve currency, then we need to allow our currency to have those features that allow other people across the world to have access to the dollar faster right, and more efficiently. 
And and if they have access more, they're going to want to use the dollar more. Yep. So the dollar is going to to benefit, and we will still be able to to. Uh, I think what was it Brooks who said um, the the currency space race, where it's just yeah. this is the new the new competition. It's the new space race. And we're kind of losing to, to China and some of these other countries that have gotten their, their, their shit together Mm -hmm. and figured out how to regulate it with, with concise, um, verbiage. Um, and I mean, China's already working on the central banking digital currency. So Congress was, was asking, will this threaten the dollar? We're worried about stable coins threatening the dollar. Will it, will it devalue it or whatever? And basically what they're saying is, not only will it not threaten the dollar, but it will strengthen the It'll dollar. It'll bolster the dollar. It'll strengthen yes, the dollar. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is so cool. And and they seemed in agreement with that. And I well. didn't I didn't know about that before either. I was just no. like, you know, I, I had trust in it because I trust the crypto, right? Well, we trust Coinbase who issues US yeah. dollar. And coin. so but it was so fascinating to learn more about these stable coins and what the benefit of stable coins are and how this, you know, the future transactions will be, you know, facilitated by stable coins and how most investments are uh are bought with stable coins which is cool too is that people aren't using their fiat they're using stable coins to purchase their investments yep absolutely because it's faster and can be even and cheaper you can to earn interest too right you can earn interest yeah. like crazy interest but um they also I, I feel like it might be important to note that they were asking about what's better than us just Focusing on these stable coins that are already working, you being used like U.S. dollar coin, or working towards creating a central bank digital currency. What's the difference? What's better? What's worse? Um, and basically, they said stable coins are more accessible, um, and a central bank digital currency is going to be less accessible because you're still going to need a bank, right? Well, and that that was the piece. Um, uh, they. Bitcoin has no CEO. So crypto right. is is the crowd, right? The crowd is in charge of the value. It's not, you don't have people who need to put a percentage in their pockets to, to make it work. And so I think uh, the CBDC w- would be, there would be too much meddling. Yes, could it work? Will it work? Yeah, probably it will. We probably will have it at some point in the very near future, but it's still not as efficient as the completely decentralized model. But it, it seemed to me, and correct me if you saw something different, it seemed to me like the the Circle CEO's argument was rather than creating a new currency, just, just in, to integrate Circle, US yeah. dollar coin. Right. Because then you you get the best of both worlds. And I feel like our government does that. We're way more focused on utilizing third parties that already have it figured out than creating a committee to come up with something new. And if you think about it too, it wasn't, Hey, let me sell you my product. No. (laughs) Right. Like normally it's like mergers and acquisitions, you know, well, we'll just buy out stable coin, you know, but that's not how it works. It's, Hey, it's open source. Our technology is for everybody Mm -hmm. here. We're telling you, does the USA want to be USA, USA forever? Well, here's a good way to, to stay on track for that. Yeah. Spoon fed right to them. The next thing we got is we kind of just want to compare old banking versus new banking, which I think was a a staple of of this congressional hearing Um, and what crypto blockchain offers over traditional banking. So we've got 
the main thing, which we just talked about, which is open source. And open source allows for full transparency. So we talk about um, we talk about a Venmo transaction. Yeah, that was interesting. Too. Right? Yeah. So I'm guessing most people use Venmo now. Yep. I would assume because it's in it's the US free in the US. Yeah. Right. Or Zelle. Um, I, I was at the airport um, coming back from Washington and I saw this huge uh, advertisement that said, um, Zell, send, send money almost anywhere. Mm, almost. Almost. That's what I focused on. Yeah. Send it almost anywhere. Venmo is the same way. Almost anywhere, right? And what we don't realize is that for each Venmo transaction, there's like seven different steps that happen behind the scenes. Yeah, that's what Brooks was saying was that it was a it was a third party to third party, mm-hmm. whereas crypto is first party to first party. Right. I like that. So there's, you know, you have to tell your bank what to do and then they tell their underwriters or, you know, people that are in charge of making transactions what to do. Then they tell their computers and they their computers tell the other bank's computers and it's just convoluted, takes time. That's why when they when you try to get Venmo out of your bank or out of your Venmo, you try to get Venmo out of your Venmo? Is that what I said? Yeah, that makes sense. Your money out of your Venmo? Money out yeah. of your Venmo. When you try to get money out of your Venmo, they say one to three business days, right? Yeah. Which doesn't include weekends, right? Um, no, it doesn't include weekends. <laughs> or or we'll take 1.5% up to $15 or whatever, right? And so crypto completely eliminates all of that that hassle. And it eliminates the almost anywhere to everywhere. Right. Borderless. It's borderless. Well... <clears throat> the other issue is you got seven different steps going on in a Venmo transaction you don't know about, not transparent. No. Nope. And there's seven different steps where errors could occur. Correct. Um, versus you have a full transparency blockchain system where there's point A to point B. And the only error that can occur is user error if you send it to the wrong address. Brooks said it so well. He's like, you know, he's got decades of experience in in the financial sector, banking. And he's like, I remember being on a board of creditors deciding who gets this credit. And he's like, there's a possibility that I could have been susceptible to implicit bias. Yep. And he said, what, what blockchain and open source algorithms do is they don't suffer from implicit bias. Humans are subject to bias, he said, greed, error, negligence, and fraud. Algorithms get rid of all of that. Yes. So... Bias, greed, error, negligence, and fraud. None of that exists in the crypto space. Yeah. How cool is that? That's why we have more access for people that normally wouldn't be able to get into the financial sector. Correct. Because it's all gone. There's no bias. There's no greed. There's, or, I mean, there's greed in terms of people, but the, the algorithm doesn't have any of that. Well, and that's what Brooks said too. He said big banks are the the biggest, you know, critics of crypto because they have the most to lose. They have the most to lose and then they can't be as greedy and biased as they want to. Um, the other thing we talked about or they talked about was the efficiency of banking through blockchain. Yeah. Um, I didn't know this, but at any given time, there are trillions, not billions, trillions of dollars that are just held up in the traditional banking system waiting to clear or to be verified and that people are losing money. Oh systems yeah. Systems are losing money because it's slow. 
Well, that goes back to the Venmo, you know, point, yeah. right? Is that there's all this money that's being hung up because so many things have to happen in order for you to get your money. Yeah. Whereas with the the Stellar CEO said, it ta- one Stellar transaction takes three to five seconds, and a hundred thousand Stellar transactions cost less than a penny. Yeah. Three to five seconds, hundred thousand less than a penny. I didn't even know it was that low. That's insane. And they're working with MoneyGram. And, you know, working on these borderless payments where you can actually send money to family out, out of the country. Yeah. You know, whereas what we talked about with Venmo and Cash App, it's only the U.S. and the U.S. and, and the Great Britain. That's it. Those are the only choices. But with Stellar and, and crypto, you know, you, three, point, three to five seconds? Like, three to five on. seconds, 100,000 transactions for a penny. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a no brainer. Uh, and then the last thing they kind of talked about in terms of old versus new banking is the idea of self-custody. Right. Custody being who holds your money. Banks hold your money, so they, they're the custodians yep. of your finances. But crypto allows you to have self-custody. You're not paying a middleman to store your money. You're not paying overdraft fees. You're not paying, you know, minimum balance balance fees. Oh my goodness. Don't get me started with wire transfer fees, check cashing fees. Oh my God. None of the fees. You're only paying overdraft fees. One penny to send your money. Yeah. Right. Or less than. Well, and and just to clarify those self custody. Yes, you can. But like Coinbase is a custodian. So. Yeah, you, you should choose. know that. Yeah. You can choose. Coinbase is a custodian, so they're they're basically a crypto bank, but they're not they're not selling or lending your money. Right. Right. Which is, you know, for me, I would rather I trust Coinbase more than I trust myself. I trust Coinbase <laughs> more than myself, but I also trust them more than my bank. Well, for sure. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> so next we have um I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but efficiency. We want to talk yeah. kind of condense what their conversations were about efficiency. Well, and I think we talk about environmental impact too, because that's a huge thing. And I think that's the main argument of people who are against crypto is, well, it's the uh, consumption of Argentina or blah, 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 blah. Or each Bitcoin transaction costs $100. Right, which isn't true. I think the misconception there is that each individual transaction costs $100. I think that isn't accurate because each Bitcoin transaction could be upwards of 2,500 transactions at a time. Oh, okay. Because you're looking at a block. Right. A block is upwards of 2,500 transactions. So if you divide that by 100 bucks, yeah. that's four cents a transaction. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's harder to figure out exactly per transaction. Right. It is, is it bad for the environment? Bitcoin specifically? Yes, it is. In comparison, is it bad? No. In, in with if you're looking at like actual coal mining right. or iron mining, no, no, no. It's, but it does need to get better. And countries like El Salvador are using volcanoes, and you have wind energy, all of that renewables, and then these new coins that are staking that don't require any mining at all. Right. Well, and I think it's going to eliminate that. That's the innovation piece too, yeah. and that's what the Stellar CEO was saying was that you know not only the Stellar transactions. She she mentioned that a Stellar transaction is less costs less energy than a visa transaction, which I thought was fascinating. And then the fact that, you know, we're doing that the whole community, the crypto community wants to do better and is challenging each other to do better. And the incentive is obviously if you have a crypto that costs less, is more efficient, uses less energy, then more people are going to adopt that. 
you know, so that, that competition that capitalism is all about right. is going to make crypto more efficient. Yeah. The comp, the competition is going to breed quality. Right. And it already is proving itself. So that argument doesn't really. Well, and, and moving anymore. from proof of work to proof of stake, proof of work being mining and proof of stake being staking. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's all these other different types of algorithm, proof of community. Sure. You know, we don't have proof to, of space and time. I'm just saying that there's, yeah. there's, it's all, evolving. It's evolving, yeah. constantly evolving to be more efficient, secure, and sustainable. Um, next, we have security. Security is huge, especially in this growing um, internet world where there's constant attacks, um, people trying to, to steal intellectual property, money, bank accounts, whatever, that's never going to go away. So how is this technology going to help that or mitigate that? Right. Um, one of the questions that was so interesting to me, but the way that they answered it was just proving or telling, I guess, of how powerful this is, this technology is, is they're like, is there any technology out there that is more secure than blockchain? Yeah. They asked Brooks this and Brooks was like, you know what? I'm going to pass this over to my uh, physicist friend here. PhD. PhD. And so they passed the question. He was like, yeah, there's, there's nothing more secure than blockchain except for other blockchains. Yep. And I mean, that just said it right there. It said it all. So it has everything. It has transparency, it has security, it has efficiency. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The uh, other thing they talked about was the the that i didn't know was that the colonial pipeline that got hacked and they the so colonial pipeline got hacked i I think we talked about it briefly but um the 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 bad guys (laughs) they asked for bitcoin ransomware it's called ransomware right yep so the the bad guys asked to be paid out in bitcoin which was a huge mistake because they could trace it yeah. because it's on the blockchain and it's transparent. Well, so they were caught because they asked for Bitcoin. Well, I should cool say that? too that they're, they must have had an address that was linked to FTX's exchange. And because they require this know your client verification, mm-hmm. these hackers were kind of dumb. We're actually really dumb because yeah. whatever address they had in the ransomware saying pay us was linked to part of it was linked to an FTX account. So FTX is like, well, yeah, we know exactly where this came from. So here are the guys. Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> they said, uh, one of the congressmen said, you know, how, what happens if it gets hacked or how, how easy is it to hack? Or, you know, uh, Brooks said one bad guy couldn't, couldn't hack it. Like you couldn't normally in the old school, one bad guy could, could hack a system. Yeah. A regular system takes one bad actor right. to, to overtake, but a blockchain system takes thousands of simultaneous bad actors right. to potentially, but they're being watched at all times. Right. Right. So if there's anyone trying to do something bad, it's either going to be denied by the blockchain or the community is going to see it. Right. And so it's It'll almost impossible. It's so very secure. Yeah. Like that was the, the reiterating that I think was super important, especially for Congress because, mm-hmm. you know, security. Right. And, and I just, it's, you know, all of the things that have been said are true. That's the thing is it's, there's so many components of this that are good and are, are going to help people and, and governments too. 
Well, and and one of the Congress people kind of further supported the the integrity of blockchain by saying, you know, we don't need perfection, which blockchain is almost to the point of yeah, perfection when it comes to good. fraud. Um, and he's like, but our current Medicare system we utilize, we're okay with, and has 18% fraud provided. Right. Like fraud, yeah. fraud is 18% it's of the providers. Built into the budget because yeah. of 18% fraud. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's huge. Crazy. So security has proven itself. Not an issue. Be not an issue. With not an chain. issue. Yeah. In fact, can help actually find these people and reverse engineer these transactions and get money back. Yeah. Because, it, you know, these FTX and Coinbase, all these companies are working in cybersecurity too. And they're compliant. And, and they're they, compliant. they, the thing that was so impressive to me is they're not only following the regulations that exist and trying to come up with better clarity, but they're going above and beyond and, and doing more um, with integrity and um, tracking of information yep. that the government could use that they didn't even have to do. Right. Um, so they're trying to be above bar. They're trying to be these trailblazers of, of the industry and they're like, models the, they're like the, the kid in high school, you know, um, who's like, Hey, can I get some extra credit? Like, yeah, literally, like yeah. I feel that way. Like they're not only the smartest kid in the room, but they're always like, Hey, can I get some extra credit? I'm bored here. Well, and it's, it's taking the banking industry from these, these suits, these socio sociopathic suits yes. to these nerds yep. that are actually you know, the, the straight A students. Don't, yeah. Don't you want them running the country? Don't you want them running the, yeah. the financial system as the people who really do care? The people who are in it for the right reasons instead of yeah. the people who are all about greed. Right. It's such a no brainer. Cause if you want to design a system that's decentralized, democratic yep. and allows everyone to make a decision and you're designing that system, you as a person, you can't really be that greedy. You can't, you can't No. Especially if you're going to get caught because like, <laughs> you know, the, the altruism aspect of crypto is, is just the most brilliant, fascinating piece of it is just it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of good, I think. Agreed. It's it's I mean, for some people, it's greed fueling philanthropy. Mm -hmm. um, next up, we have stifling growth. That's our category. So how Congress is, I guess they're worried about how, how will we inhibit you guys from. Well, and that was the interesting piece, I think, was yeah. the fact that these Congress people, part of their, their, uh, you know, preface on a lot of these questions was, we don't want to get in your way, you yeah. know, like yeah. we don't want to do the wrong thing so yeah. that we actually make this worse because we're really talking about American exceptionalism. We want to continue to be the leader, everything. Mm -hmm. And we're not right now. No. We're at risk of losing our democracy. There's a lot of crap going on, you know? So I think the Congress people were very respectful of reiterating the fact that they don't want to overregulate this thing because it will stifle innovation. Yeah. And I, I think Brooks said it too, is he, he kind of explains really well, but he also presents a call to action. And he says, you know, fidelity has to go to Canada to get a crypto ETF. Why is that? Yep. Basically saying other countries are doing it right. This is what they're doing. Let's let's get going on this. Yeah. 
let's make these we're behind we, we have we have pages of of regulations that you can use yeah here we'll spoon feed it to Here's you all the stuff Here's the you stuff. can use usdc sign off on like, it just use it like do all yeah. here's all the stuff you need yeah you yeah. know but you got to study for it you got to study for the test right <laughs> yeah. here are all the notes but we're going to give you the answers we wrote all the notes for your test <laughs> yeah but you gotta you gotta it actually, is it's, it's the it's, it's the nerd in high school is like here just i'm gonna help you work on this test yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i'm gonna tutor you it's a group project but i did all the work exactly which is there anything better no <laughs> nothing <laughs> um so then we got to talk about barriers to entry creating opportunities for mutual funds diversification managing risk bringing more people in more safely is important um not just for the rich people so i think brooks was talking about this he's like you could easily make it no risk for the general public and only allow the rich to get in and get richer because they can handle the risk. Right. But then, then we're stifling innovation. We're stifling growth and we're defeating the purpose of this whole market in general. Yeah. Well, he, so Brooks talked about the stock market and how, you know, there are these safeguards and, and education and, and diversification. And how do you, how do you get people who are unaware of the market people, you know, retirement accounts, all of these things that are, are commonplace now in the stock market. Why can't we translate that to the crypto market? And what he talked about was the, the most important thing was parity and, it, you know, explained as like, what, why is one thing okay? And another thing is not okay. And so the, the example they used was traveler's checks. So I, I don't know if that's a reference that people understand. A traveler's check is like old school money. If you were going on vacation to a foreign country, you would go to your bank and you would buy traveler's checks. And what you would do is they would give you like, let's say it's a hundred dollar traveler's check. They give you a hundred dollar traveler's check. You stand there, you sign your name on the traveler's check. You take that traveler's check with you on your vacation. If that traveler's check is stolen, then they'll replace it. But you got to prove that you did that whole process. If you have cash, obviously, if it gets stolen, it's gone. So that's why traveler's checks are safer. And so you spend those that money in the place that takes your traveler's checks, if they take traveler's checks, and then you get change back in that currency. So it's just, it's it's a convoluted way of saying if traveler's checks are still okay, why isn't USDC okay? Because it does all that, but way more efficient. Oh, absolutely. So I think that Brooks was the idea that there's so many things that, that the stock market offers and that you can invest in in the stock market that's commonplace. But the crypto market doesn't have those options yet because it needs this regulation. It needs to be put on paper. Yeah. Or on the ledger, if you will. I like that. Yeah, and he basically was like, New, new doesn't mean more risky. Let people invest, let yeah. people in, let's make this easier. Yes. Especially with like ETFs or having crypto in your 401k. Exactly. You know, people want this. Let's make it easier. Yep. Let them in. He said, right. Huge, huge, huge. Um, and so that brings us to regulating. How do we regulate this? Congress was asking that. What are what are your literally asking them? What yeah. do you what recommend we do? Well, and I think the other piece of this distinction is the Congress is in charge of writing the rules. 
then you have the the agencies that are in charge of enforcing the rules. So right now you have the SEC and the CFTC we've talked about, right? Is that there are, I believe there's three regulating company or companies, three regulating organizations that oversee the banking system and five regulators that oversee the, the in, investment banking system. So there's just, there's too many, the, the Coinbase CEO said there's just, there's too many regulators. We can't, you know, and, and the fact that it's not a national currency crypto is that they have to have all of these licenses in all of these states and all of these other countries and all this. So it's super cumbersome. Yeah. The FTX CEO is saying that he, they have over a hundred different um, documents of, yeah. of saying that they're, they're following these laws and. So the CEO of Coinbase said, she said, well, there's too many regulators. We need to have one regulator. So whether that's a new, a new regulator or something that already exists, the SEC and CFTC. And what was funny was that Bankman Freed, the FTX guy said, well, I think we should, you know, put them together, put the CFTC and SEC, have them work together. And I was like, I don't know. I, I heard that somewhere. Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago on the Be Your Own Bank podcast. <laughs> But uh, that was cool to hear that from, uh, you know, a physics <laughs> PhD, PhD from MIT. From yeah. MIT. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. The, the point being is they want to be regulated. They're already regulated, but they want to have somebody, they want to have a liaison. They want to have a, a, a regulating body. Um, and they also want to have an SRO, which... Um, self-regulatory organization. Self-regulatory organization. So uh, on the stock market, the NYSE, you've, you've heard of it. New York Stock Exchange, that's an SRO. So the crypto market is wanting to have an SRO. And what that would do would be their, they would be their main liaison. They would be the, um, uh, what, what's the quote? The move. Get in the weeds and move with speed. They need, they need a, an SRO that will get in the weeds and move with speed. Right. So somebody who can be there on a daily basis, because we've talked about it, like this stuff changes constantly. Yeah. And there's new coins being added to the, to the lexicon every single day. And they have to vet all those coins. Yep. And Coinbase has a process for doing that. And they've even set up uh, the Crypto Ratings Council. You know, so we had, you know, we talked about the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Commission. Um, you know, they have the the Howey test and they have uh, the Reeves test is a new one. I haven't, I haven't looked into that. Um, but Coinbase is like, yeah, we're doing the Howey test. We're doing the Reeves test. We're doing our, our crypto council. We're rating all these things. We're checking their blockchains. We're checking their founders. We're check like they're Everything. doing thorough. They analysis. have over a hundred assets and each one of them has to pass, pass their a rigorous test um, in terms of risk mitigation so that they know that when they list this coin, their clients can trust that it's passed a, a test to to make sure that it, it's a good asset. They're doing more work than the SEC and the CFTC is doing oh, yeah. currently. Yeah. So their work will lay the groundwork for this new regulation. So it's this partnership. It's just, That's what's so cool about this hearing was that it was really these experts saying, look, we got it. We figured it out. Everything works. All we need now is, is the approval and the regulation so that everybody can have easy access to this. And we can implement all these things so that America can be best. America could be best. Yeah. And um, the going back to stable coins, they're saying the most important thing to regulate is actually stable coins to start with. Um, 
so we can maintain dollar dominance and then it, it making sure having someone audit be there to make sure that the reserves are backed in fact one to one right is a, a third party i mean that so that was one of the last questions was what is the number one regulation that needs to happen right away to make to to get started and that's what they said is we need to make sure that stable coins are regulated one-to-one and that there's a third party who's auditing that process so that we always know that a stable coin is a liquid asset and you can get your dollar out of that stable coin at any point in time. So there's, there's no risk, no risk and pure trust. And, and they said that earlier was there is no risk. And so now we just have to write that down yeah. and regulate and legislate that. Mm-hmm. Sounds easy to me. Sounds great. Let's make it happen. So that's five hours of testimony <laughs> for you in a shorter amount of time. Hopefully, I don't know how long this has been, but it's it's cool, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm more invigorated by I'm this. I'm invigorated, but I'm also validated. And validated. Yeah. On the blockchain. On the blockchain. I felt like a lot of these questions they were asking, I was like, I, I can answer that. I can answer that. Let me be on this panel. <laughs> how can I help? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. That's a good point, right? It's like, how can I help? When people are like, well, what's crypto? I'm overwhelmed by crypto. It's like, well, how can I help? You know, and, and a lot of the times I help too much. Sure. They're not ready to yeah. receive that information at the time. But that's what I, that's what I've felt about this community. It's not a, hey, let's get rich quick. Let's, you know, Ponzi scheme, blah, blah, blah. Buy a million mongoose coin. I, I mean, I will I will say that NFTs are a slippery slope just because of the way they're being interacted with currently. But I think just on the whole, the the market itself is is very inclusive. And, yeah. and and I'm proud of that. And I'm I'm constantly trying to, you know, learn more so that I can help more people and give them the tools and seeing these, you know, just just seeing the the happiness of these conversations and the, oh, thank you so much for the question. Oh, thank you for letting me expound on the question. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you for letting me clarify the question. Oh. But not only that, saying, oh, well, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Congressperson. Good to see you again. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's rapport, yes. there's history, and yep. it's positive. Yep. And they know this is the answer. So that's it for the hearing. Now let's get into those charts. All right, let's take a look at Bitcoin. So we are hitting this support right here at about 47.5, right around that area. That is coinciding with three support levels. Uh, We have this upward channel here in red. That is the bottom of the support. We have the top of the green channel here. That was previous resistance and now has become support. And as well as the 200-day moving average is also support. So we are... On support, heavy support right here. If we do decide to go lower, it could go back to 30. Uh, I don't anticipate that, but it is definitely still in the cards. So the other thing we are looking at is the resistance, the former resistance. Now it broke out of resistance and is coming back to touch support. So typically what happens is it comes back, it touches support, and then it heads back up. But like I said, we could fail here. And that would send us back down to about 40. And then if 40 is compromised, we could be heading back to 30. Now, I know everybody's been talking about Lambos and 100X coins and all that stuff this year. 
I was personally pretty optimistic that this year would follow 2017 um, because of the four-year market cycles. But when it comes to the markets, you have to be reactive and not predictive. It's looking like we won't hit that 100,000 this year. Sad face. But what it is looking like is a longer market cycle. So if we go back with each halving, so halvings are about every four years. So the market cycles have been going every four years or so. So let's take a look back a couple halvings ago. I'm going to take you back in time to 11.26.12, where the halving happened. And the Bitcoin price at that point in time was $12. Would have been nice to get in at that point, huh? And then we have the top over here. Oh, wait, no, we don't have the top here. The top of this cycle was here. So imagine if you had gotten in, sold here and stayed out, you would have missed out on all of this gain, right? Think about that. So the top was 1130.13, which was 12 months roughly. So from $12 to $1,163 in 12 months, that was the, the first halving to, to top of market. The following halving was on 6616. Bitcoin price was 574. The following bull market brought us up to 4,700 about. Oh wait, no, it wasn't. It was 19,660. That was the 2017. So you can see what I'm doing here, right? Is that it seems like it was the top when it grew so much, but really it wasn't. And the top hadn't blown off yet. So just keep track of that. So the difference between the first market cycle from 2012 to 2013 and the 2016 to 2017 market cycle was about six months. So the second cycle was six months longer. And now we're into this third cycle where the previous halving happened on 5-11-2020 and Bitcoin price was 81.80. So 18 months from 5-11-20 would put us right about where we're at now. But if the market cycle is longer, then we haven't seen the top yet and we've got about six months before we see the top. So my prediction is that this is a longer market cycle. We've gone from a 12-month cycle to an 18-month cycle and now potentially a 24-month cycle. It could be longer. It could be shorter. The fact that we didn't hit the top yet doesn't mean that we're going down is what I'm saying. Is the chances of the cycle just taking longer are higher and that we haven't seen the top yet. So the, definitely something to be considering. Uh, we could go down. We could chop for a while. But Patience is key in these markets and Bitcoin surprises people every single time. Be cautious, but be optimistic and just continue to put in a little bit at a time. So with that being said, let's go to our dollar cost averaging. Now, yes, the market has been beat up a bit. So I'm going to give you some of the ones that have been beat up the most, I believe. Um, we've got EOS. I know we talked about it either last week or the week before. Um, that's right at the bottom, at the lows that it's been. So I believe that it is a good buying opportunity. Then next we have NEO. NEO is right around $25 right now. Seems to be at the bottom. And then lastly, Dash. Same situation. Obviously, a lot of these coins have been beat up over the last couple of weeks. Feel free to, to pick a few more to dollar cost average 
or wait for more confirmation that we are heading back up and be patient. That's it for the charts, gang. We are the Bit Bros. We are not licensed financial advisors. All content is intended for educational purposes only. Do your own research and only risk what you're willing to lose. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Please feel free to comment. Um, it helps us figure out what you guys are wanting to learn and gives us an opportunity to interact and, and, and learn more ourselves too. So thanks for tuning in.